Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so that you can make your prior best your new baseline. Max Barsky, formerly known as David Starr, joins the podcast this week, and we have an in-depth and very honest conversation about addiction, recovery, sobriety, and abuse. In other news, this podcast episode is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So click the link in the show notes, scroll through their website, see which products might work best for you, and then use code everybody at checkout for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 181 with Max Barsky. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz. Max, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really happy to be here. I I'm really excited to just see your face. I mean, we've we've talked, uh, you know, for a long time. We've been friends for a long time. Um, haven't seen your face in a while. I have everything that happened, you know, a few years back. But I, um, I I'm really like happy to see you where you're at. Um, yeah, I think that's the right word. You know, I think about happiness a lot, and I am. I'm happy for you. I see what you're doing. I see the work you've put in. Um, and that's why I want to talk to you today. I mean, I think um, your story, your journey um, has a lot of value and insight. And so um, I'm really excited to talk to you. So thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks, dude. That, mean, that means a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to see that you're happy. And I'm happy to see that this is happening, that you're going down this road. And I know like you yourself have had your own, your own journey has led you here. Um, and it's 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 pretty cool to see growth in cool people. Yeah, I agree with that statement. That's a good that's a good quote already. We got something, some quotable Instagram material ready to go up. But uh, before we dive into how you got to this point, I have a very important question to ask you, and it is, how are you? Like, really, how are you doing? I'm uh, really doing pretty fantastic. Uh, Seriously, I'm in the best place that I've ever been. Uh, you know, like I've, uh, it's funny that we're talking now because over these past three years, like I've, I, you know, I've had to kind of like, I guess for lack of a better term, like reinvent myself uh, and go through another thing of discovery as to like who I am, what I am, what what it is that I want to do, um, like what service I want to provide. And, uh, I feel like I've found that and I'm also like, I'm in like a super sick relationship with uh, my partner, my girlfriend. Uh, I have two cats. I got a dog, got this nice little house here. Um, you know, I have rebuilt relationships with people I grew up with, um, like reconnected with them after being gone on the road for so long. And <laughs> My, yeah, everything's like just awesome, dude. Like I'm in a, I'm in, I'm in an awesome place. I feel great. 
I I am the I feel the same way, and it's it's so interesting to think that I would feel this way. Um, you know, I think about gratitude a lot because like yeah. people talk about the gratitude a lot. They do on the internet, especially. And it's like, you have to work for it. Like, it's not just something that just like happens. So I'm grateful. Like I have to like be very intentional with my gratitude practice. And I'm also like, sometimes that's not the right word for how I feel, but like, that's the best one I have. Um, Cause when I think about, you know, my sister, you know, passing away in 2018 and me ending up in this spot, like I'm, I'm grateful to be doing the work that I'm doing and love having these conversations like more than anything else and speaking about important stuff. But then I don't like, then I don't have a, any, like any, any texture, or any words to put on like the actual event. Like I'm grateful to be here, but you know what I'm trying to say? It's like hard to, yeah. it's like hard to understand that. And so I'm still working through that, you know, five years later, but I, I am, actively trying to be always grateful for this right here, like to sit here on a Saturday afternoon with you and have this conversation. But like from what it came out of, I don't know, maybe I would still have ended up here potentially uh, yeah, as totally, a retired, you know, but I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I totally, I totally understand where you're coming from. Like, cause it's, it's like, uh, it's like always that mixed bag, right? When everyone's, when anyone says like, would you go back and change anything? You know, like, it, it's that question like we're in, like you and I have just, both just said we're in great places like emotionally physically mentally um all that stuff spiritually in great places um and it's like well would you go back and change anything and on one hand of course there's things you'd want to do differently right like obviously we no one's perfect um no one's perfect no one's ever acted a hundred percent the right way all the time. So like, yeah, of course you don't want to have to go through pain. You don't want to have to inflict pain to get to where we've gotten to now, but it, it, that's just the journey that was taken. Like we went through stuff, we created chaos, we experienced chaos, what, however you want to define that. Um, so it's like the idea of saying like no regrets because it gets you to where you are, like all that stuff gets you to where you are. And obviously, you know, you experiencing the loss of your sister, um, me having to be <laughs> like an, an abusive, self-destructive person for so long. Um, and like, that sucks that that shit had to happen, either happen to us or we had to do those things in order to learn and grow. But that's just what we had to do. That's what had to happen in order to get here. So I can understand, like, it's like, I can relate to the feeling of when you feel this gratitude. Like I literally have that on my, um, like on my whiteboard in my bedroom. Every, I have a couple like, things to do every day, like the to-do list. And one of them is express gratitude. Another one is uh, surrender, relinquish control. Like those things, I, I say that every day. Gotta let stuff. Gotta let stuff go. Gotta recognize um, what I'm in control of and what I'm not in control of, and I gotta express gratitude for being where I'm at now. Gotta be grateful for uh, what you have. Grateful for what's been left behind. Like, and that's just the way it's the way it's got to be in order to keep moving forward and not be stuck. Um, but I can definitely understand the feeling of conflict within where it's like oh shit like 
I'm here. Am I allowed to curse? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh oh yeah. <laughs> let him let him rip. Um, Dude, we're so, an independent podcast where we can do whatever we want. Well, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I can understand that like internal conflict. Uh, I think it's something that it's hard to reckon with for probably anybody, but especially when you've gone through a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just like I had to come to terms with realizing that it was okay to feel two things at once. That was like super important. Like when I would go to a family event after my sister passed, like I fucking love my family and I'm pumped to be here. And this is great. This wedding, the Jewish dancing, all that stuff, the food, oh, magical. But like, you know who really would love this? My sister. And so it's it's okay. In both instances, I am feeling elated and joyed and happy, but also like a little sad, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's okay. And that's, a, that's, a, that's the human experience of being able to recognize that both exist. I'm right here. I'm where my feet are. And I'm still going to try and be present. But I feel both of these things. And if someone asks me how I'm doing, I'm going to tell them because my family probably, everyone else probably feels the same way. Or they're at this point too preoccupied to think about it. But when they sit back and think about the night, they're probably going to end up having these two mutual emotions. Um, and so being able to come to terms with that was like super powerful for me in the journey because, you know, family events are going to happen. I'm getting married next year. It's going to happen. Like that's, it's going to be really hard, but also it's going to be f the fucking sickest day. So like, <laughs> so that's, that's well, important. Of course, dude. And like, and, and that's, that's totally, that's totally a valid thing. I can, yeah, I can relate. I can relate to that as well. Like, um, just the, just the idea of that. And that was really nice to said, I don't have anything to add to that. That was really cool. I can, I can definitely vibe. I can definitely vibe with that. I like two truths can exist at the same time Yeah, and they can be completely contradictory, but they can both be true. Mm -hmm. Um, so I want to give, give some people who are watching or listening some context. Maybe they're not professional wrestling fans. So, um, how did you get here? You know, what was, what were you doing before all of this happened? And this is probably a long story and we'll, I'll cut you off in the middle to sort of add my nuggets, but, um, let's talk about it. How you got to this point, how you went on this journey. Why, what was the catalyst? What were you doing before this? Sure. I mean, I'm going to just, I guess I'll just, uh, as far as like my adult life goes, or are we talking like, I could go all the way back, brother. <laughs> Let's talk about, uh, yeah, you as, as David Starr, the professional wrestler. Okay, sure. No problem. Um, I wrestled, I wrestled from when I was seven years old, all the way through college. Uh, when I was kind of like seeing the end of my college wrestling career coming, uh, happening in front of like, when I was coming to the end of my college wrestling career and I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with myself. Like, um, I, that coincided with my first feeling of burnout from amateur wrestling, from collegiate wrestling. I'd never felt that before from, for 14 years, I'd never felt burnout. Um, I'd always just like loved the sport. And then that worked side by side with CM Punk cutting a pipe bomb promo and me falling back in love with professional wrestling. Like it kind of waned, in those, uh, like, honestly, not to hate, I don't hate on the dude at all. I think he's amazing. Uh, but like the John Cena on top years, I kind of like, was just like a very much peripheral fan. And um, Punk's storyline brought me right back in. I decided to go, as I do with literally everything, a thousand miles an hour into pro wrestling. I like shot emails out to everyone, started training at the Wild Spawn Training Center in Allentown. 
uh, got trained by uh, head shrinker Samu Anawaii, and Ben started pretty much right out of the gate. Like I graduated from the school like a month into it, and then I started uh, <laughs> I started doing shows, and I was getting booked, and all of a sudden I was just like meeting people. I got introduced to CZW, met more people, learned how to contact people, just kept incessantly contacting promoters. And next thing you know, years and years later, I'm over in Europe and I'm wrestling for WXW in Germany. And then from there, that brought me over to England. I'm wrestling in England. And then I started wrestling for all the biggest promotions in America and in Europe. And things were just like going it was awesome. It was like living a boyhood dream. Like I want, I started wrestling when I was seven because I was a pro wrestling fan when I was five. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart wrestle at WrestleMania 12. And like, it was the, the coolest thing ever. And yeah, dude. So I went, I had a bit of like for eight years, I rose to what I would say is the top of independent professional wrestling, like the underground professional wrestling scene like I was wrestling at all the biggest places um and I was getting ready to wrestle for uh New Japan Pro Wrestling for the best of the Super Juniors which is like arguably the biggest wrestling tournament in the world um I was getting ready to do that I had my Japanese like visa and all that I still have it in my 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 drawer um just it's a cool piece of little memorabilia and everything and um and then but all the while, I was uh, <laughs> I was not cool. Like I wasn't doing okay. I I constantly was not addressing my own issues. Um, I was constantly passing off accountability for myself, and I was I started uh, you know, like drinking incessantly. I was like, um, everything was like real, 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 real bad. Um, I was uh, every partner I'd had, every single one of them was like the most important passionate relationship ever that started, that was like got super hot and heavy a month into it. And like, we were saying, I love you to each other immediately. And that happened with every single person I was dating. Every single person I was dating was the love of my life. And then that would like dissipate. And then I'd get really upset and blame myself for it or blame them for it. And then I would cheat on them and then I would lie about it. And then um, ultimately I was like gaslighting my partners. I was just like, totally like in self victim mode and I was taking it out on, on them for the most part. Like I wasn't like necessarily outwardly mean, you know, I wasn't like insulting them or like calling them anything like that, but I was a dick. Um, and I mean, to be blunt, I I was emotionally abusive, um, with my gaslighting and all that. And, I was making excuses for myself. It was so bad to the point where I was, um, you know, like upon re- revisiting everything, like I'd write journals or I'd voice note journals to myself, even during the worst times. And I would lie. That was literally for me. Like I was writing things for myself and I was lying in those journals. Hmm. Um, like just making up stories or things, creating a reality to make me feel comfortable um, that I wasn't the bad guy or that I was the victim. And um, ultimately COVID hit 
Um, I was on top of the wrestling world or independent wrestling world at that time. COVID hit, everything shut down. I feel the immediate squeeze um, financially. And uh, I can tell, like, looking back, like, I was so incredibly needy for attention. Like, all of my, all the shows were shut down. I was uh, so, so chronically online, just seeking every single like and retweet. I was constantly in search of uh, validation. I had no internal validation, only seeking external validation, like constantly just, again, through likes or retweets or whatever. I was like one of these people who searched my own name on Twitter all the time. And I would, I lived on social media, like <laughs> just to feel okay. And it was, it was brutal. Like just such an empty existence I was living. Um, and, um, that's when the drinking got worse and worse. Um, and that's when my acting out with women got worse and worse. I was like talking to, while I was living with my girlfriend in England at the time, like I was talking to, I don't know, like anywhere between five to 10 different girls online. At the same time, I was drinking two bottles of liquor a day to myself. Um, and it was bad. It was bad. And then ultimately I, I got caught. Uh, and then I had to move back to the States because um, I wasn't allowed to work in the UK anymore because my visa said entertainment and I couldn't work. Entertainment was all shut down. Uh, so I had to go back to the States. I had to move in with my mom. And then as I was there, um, essentially I had past girlfriends of mine, uh, past partners of mine. They came out and talked about my emotional abuse. Um, and there was one partner uh, that I'd had who that accused me of physically, of sexually assaulting her, um, which I didn't do. But regardless, I was still total douchebag to this, this woman. I, I, told, I like led her on. I lied to her. I... Um, you know, I, I made her, I said, I love you to her. I made her, I, um, I dragged her along big time. Like I didn't know what I was feeling and I brought her along on my chaos roller coaster. And, uh, there was a couple times where I like violently yelled at her. Um, and I, I was not good. I was emotional. I emotionally abused her. No doubt. Just like I had, uh, almost every single partner I'd had before that through, lies, manipulation, gaslighting, um, all that. And, you know, all that came to light. And then I lost all my bookings for wrestling. Um, that all came tumbling, crashing down. And then I had to figure shit out because I couldn't exist in that place anymore. Like the craziest thing was, and I'll never forget it. I was driving down the New Jersey turnpike when it all, when like everything happened online where all like, where this one particular uh, ex-partner posted a story. And my initial first feeling 
was relief. Um, Because I felt like I was carrying so much weight, like so much baggage from all the years and years of lies. And I had to keep up with all these lies and I had to tell the same story, but then there'd be little things where I would tell little tiny truths, nuggets of truths, like about however, like just to make me a sympathetic figure, make me the victim. Um, but once that all came out, like I felt like I didn't have to hide anymore. That was my immediate feeling. And then of course, right after that, it was extreme panic. Like what the fuck is my life going to be right now? And like, this is awful. I'm, I'm getting called the worst things you can imagine. And it, it was, you know, then it was total chaos. Um, but like, I, you know, like that initial feeling of relief, I, could, I look back on that and I think to myself, like, yeah, because I, this needed to happen. Like mm-hmm. I needed to be reckoned with, <laughs> like, or like all this stuff needed to come to a head. Um, and I had to take action. Like I couldn't, I, I couldn't live, I couldn't live in that place anymore. I was lying to my therapist that I'd had for a year and thank goodness that he didn't um, leave. He was kind enough uh, to stick around and then work with me through it. Um, He saw something in me and that was also something I guess like looking back, that was really important to me was that he didn't bail. Um, That he was like, okay, but you got to own this. And he forced accountability on me. Like when I would talk to him and I, and I, I had a place, I was given a space of, uh, with no fear or judgment to come forward and talk about all these truths. And that also, um, led me to, before that I had a family member, a very, very close family member of mine who recommended, um, sex and love addicts anonymous to me. And I was like, this is bullshit, sex and love addict. Like what the, what the fuck is that even like, that's nonsense. I used to say, I was like, this is just something that celebrities make up when they get caught cheating on their wives. Like they just say, oh yeah, I'm a sex addict. Um, and then I went to a meeting and in the beginning of the first meeting, you know, they start talking about God and I'm like rolling my eyes. Like what the fuck did I get myself into? This is ridiculous. And then, um, they read like the 12 characteristics of a sex and love addict. And I, and they say like, if you hit four, they recommend you should come back to another meeting. And dude, I hit 10. And I was like, oh, I, th- I was like, oh, but okay. Maybe this is a real thing. And then every meeting I started, then I started going to meetings every day. And every time I, I'd resonate with something else. I'd resonate with something else. I'd resonate with something else. I just kept feeling more and more connected. And then it kept feeling like it was the first time where I was understood. And then again, like having that space without fear or judgment to be able to talk about this stuff, like, and then everybody else is doing the same thing. Like, and it's not a matter, like I see the TV shows and movies and stuff when they talk about like AA, cause I, I, went to AA stuff as well, but I mostly focused on, on slaw. Um, and they always like it, 
I feel like it's like a ridiculous parody of the way those meetings are because it's so much ownership there. Like those are the bravest people on the on the planet, man. Like I remember I went to a I went to an AA meeting down in like Kensington, and it was like a, a young man's meeting, and outside there were all these dudes and they're all talking like outside they're all smoking cigarettes like they're not necessarily you know the most intelligent people a lot of camo is being worn and uh <laughs> and they're all saying like this bullshit macho stuff like they're blah, 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 blah. and then we went inside and had this sick AA meeting and all these dudes that were all talking this bullshit macho game and they were doing all this started talking about like their feelings and they were all talking about like relating to other people and like they were so open and honest about all their stuff and I was like holy shit look at me passing judgment on these people like these are the strongest people on the planet like they're coming through and doing all this stuff like they're facing all this shit and I got taught me a lesson there too not to judge and to always cultivate a thing of judgment free, no fear. Because that's where you can really allow someone to take accountability is when there's no fear. And it doesn't mean that like you don't say, Hey, that was wrong. Of course you do, because you have to you have to take that. You have to do that within yourself. But um like being able to say it, like I, I think so many people are afraid of that judgment. Uh, as opposed to just owning up the flaws that we have. And I think if you, if we do that, then we'll kind of build a, a better place to where we don't build up to ultimately really, really awful things. Like, cause everyone's going to make mistakes, but like, if we have this space that, uh, where we allow people to make mistakes, I don't think it ultimately will build up like these little cover-ups. And that, like I talked about that weight that I felt, and obviously this is like in, in a way like a form of projection because I'm like just kind of talking about my journey and what I, I'm prescribing this to everything else. But like um, in my experience, I, I think it's best to give that grace so that we can not allow it to build up to something ultimately like a bomb going off. Um, and, you know, I felt within myself, I felt that I had to be perfect all the time. So then I just lied. So rather than taking accountability, I lied repeatedly, ultimately. And just like, finally, when I was, when I had to, you know, when I had to face the music, when I was forced to come to certain realizations, I was freed. And then I went through uh, my slaw program. I've done, I've d I've gone through the twelve steps once. I've I sponsored two people. I've sponsored. I have sponsored like five people. Um, but I currently sponsor two people. And um, it, it's it's been wonderfully rewarding to learn uh, that. You know, you can screw up, but you just got to take accountability, own up to your stuff. And then there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, 
And part of that is also, make, you know, wherever possible, making direct amends to people. Uh, part and a part of that is being radically honest, taking a fearless moral inventory with yourself, and then the other part of that is continuing to practice that work every single day, like th acknowledging that there is no cure, there is no fix, there is just constant work, um, and that creates growth and that allows me. Like if I did, if I stopped doing the work, then I would just revert back to whatever it was. Like I was that way for 29, 30 years. Being cool for two, three years isn't going to take away, you know, 29 years of buildup, you know? Uh, so yeah, then I, so I got sober. I'm sober now. I'm, you know, 1,086 days today, I believe. Um, Beautiful. And and every day, you know, practice gratitude, practice surrender. Um, I do something for my sobriety every single day. Uh, I have to, whether it's like an outreach call, whether it's a meeting, whether it's uh, journaling, whether it's prayer, something gets done to make myself my best whole self so that I can be of service to others every single day. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't wrestle now. I don't have any intentions of wrestling ever again. I, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I went back, I'm, I help out. I coach my high school wrestling team as an assistant, as a volunteer assistant. And that's really super cool and rewarding. And then this past year I went back to actually wrestling. I competed in like a string of tournaments. I did pretty well. Um, I'm, currently training for a natural bodybuilding competition for next year. And I'm really excited because I just got done my first cut and now I'm starting to bulk for the next five to six months. And I'm very excited to eat. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, dude. And I also have, you know, I'm uh, through the national Academy of sports medicine. I got my um, certification as a nutrition coach and a personal trainer. And I got my associate's degree from uh, Montgomery County Community College and liberal arts and uh, political science. And so, I, yeah, I went back to school. I got more education. I, uh, I, I helped manage uh, my mom's jewelry store. And I also, you know, I work at, I work at a gym part-time. I have my own private clients. I have a beautiful, wonderful partner. Um, which we've cultivated a relationship of no fear, judgment, openness, honesty. And it's, uh, it's great. We have two cats, we have a dog, we have a house and we have like a deck and a front porch and a yard. And it's, um, it's bizarre. <laughs> it's because I never, never would have thought that I could possibly get here from this, um, person who was a total shell of himself, uh, for so long, you know? and always hiding. And now I'm like very much out in the open. And it's, you know, kind of one of the things that now has attracted me to bodybuilding in general is because one, I feel like my body is my foundation. Like it's a, it's a, uh, you know, it's a metaphor for building my foundation and for constantly working on myself, uh, is working on my body. And on top of that, it's also very open and very vulnerable. 
And it's like a, a thing where it's like, you can find strength and vulnerability and uh, acknowledging that I'm a vulnerable person, acknowledging that I'm a flawed human being who's just like trying to be the best that he can be every, every single day. And I want to wake, I used to say this as like a cliche and then like, you know, now I really, really practice it, which is I try to wake up better than I went to sleep. And it, and it's, it's cool as hell to do the work. Hmm. Yeah, it is cool as hell to do the work. I agree. Um, <clears throat> in the midst of sort of your most uh, egregious behavior, did you, I mean, you had to sort of realize what you're doing was wrong and not good and what you just, just didn't want to face it at that point. You felt like you weren't strong enough or you wanted to keep living the life you were living. What, what was going on in sort of those moments? Um, I would just get, a lot of times I would just get angry with myself or I would, or honestly, like I would lie about it so much so that I would just like create a different reality in which mm -hmm. either that didn't happen or it was a different story. Or there was always like a caveat or something just to protect myself. I couldn't, I couldn't face the truth because if I faced the truth, that would mean I was the bad guy and um, I couldn't handle that. Like I was always so um, um, I was always so captured by everybody else's opinions and like what everybody thought I should do or what, how I should be or who I should be. Um, right. Exactly. Uh, and it just, um, I knew what I was doing was wrong. I mean, of course I knew, but I just had, was like in a major state of denial. Um, I don't know if I would say it was like, I guess it's impossible to not say there was like a lack of strength there, but uh, I think a lot of it had to do with that fear of judgment, not only from like from other, how it would be, I'd be perceived of course, um, as if like, again, it's, it's like as living for other people instead of living for yourself. And like, um, I guess that's that. I guess that's what I'd say. Cause I knew what I was doing was wrong. I just wasn't able, I wasn't capable of facing it at that time. Like hmm. I, I, I think everybody has a different, like we were talking about, we were talking about before we started, like, um, everybody has a different rock bottom. You know, like I remember it was about three or four days before um, everything happened with me publicly uh, where I did, I did mushrooms for the first time. I did hallucinogenics. I did it with a, a really, um, I did them with like a really, really nice, like good person and uh, in a, <laughs> not medically therapeutic, but like seemingly therapeutic like it felt very cozy and comfortable and warm and open and inviting um and again no fear no judgment and i was very open and very vulnerable and i felt i remember feeling in those moments i was confronting myself i remember crying 
and looking at this uh this woman who i was uh who i took these mushrooms with uh, and uh, alongside a couple other people but and i just looked at her as a representation uh and i just apologized because i knew that i was like something wasn't right there i still didn't like fully confront stuff it was just like a little a tiny baby step in the right direction you know um but when you're ready to hear the message you hear the message mm-hmm. and i was just not ready to hear the message through all those other times like when it seems like anybody from an outside perspective would be like well why didn't you fucking get it there bro like why didn't why didn't this make you realize or why didn't this make you realize why didn't this make you realize i could probably point to that countless times in my life but um, I just wasn't ready to hear the message until I heard the message. Yeah. Yeah. The same lessons will keep repeating themselves until we actually learn. Um, yeah. you know, that's whatever universe faith you believe in that, that is, I believe it's ultimately true. It's going to keep showing up in our lives until we say, Oh, okay, this is what I need to confront. This is the battle I need to go on. This is the fucking hero's journey and I'm going to get knocked down. But, you know, I got my armor and my support system and maybe I'll get a fucking sword and I'll slay the dragon and I'll keep having to slay the same dragon over and over and over and over and over and over and over again because you're never exonerated from the work. Just like you said, there's no there there. There's just like, oh, OK, there's the lighthouse. I'm always headed towards the lighthouse. Um, and I think that's like really important. Uh, at least that's how I try to frame it when I'm working with people like. Yeah, we're going to we're going to get we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. We're going to work on this stuff. We're going to start eating well and sleeping well and moving well and thinking well. And you're going to do it awesome. You're going to get super consistent for like a year, two years, three years, four years. But then you have to do it forever. <laughs> like yeah. that's that's it. Unless yeah. unless you don't want to continue to cultivate the greatest version of yourself in greatest service of the world. Like if you're just good at this level, like you're 85 years old and you just want to pop on the the deck and have some coffee. I'm cool with that. That's great. You probably lived a sick life. And when ultimately you lay your head on the pillow for the last time and you're like, I got like, that was awesome. That was a fucking great ride. Then cool. Don't have to do the work. Maybe whatever, (laughs) but like, you know, but like right now in the midst of your life where you have energy and life about you and breath and, you have people in your life who care about you and rely on you and you have a responsibility to do that. Like you got it. You have to, like, there's no other choice or the uniqueness of you, the divine spirit that lives inside of you is not going to be truly expressed. And that's a shame because the world will not be as good because you didn't express that. And that's a lot of responsibility to bear. That's why it means that you matter so much. So when people say that sort of as a cliche in terms of your mental health, the real meaning behind it is that you do actually matter like, I don't even know the number to say how much you do because what's inside of you has to be expressed in a way that no one else can do it. And it's extremely important. And so you have to go through the trenches. You have to go through the the absolute shit. Even if your behavior was really horrible and awful and no one ever forgives you ever, you can do that work yourself. It's not about other people. It's about you. And you can do that in prison. People do it in prison, in jail, never getting their life back. They still have They've done the work, and now there are these people at peace. Um, we just happen to be in real life being able to do that, which is a fucking blessing as is. Yeah, dude, 100%. And that, and there's a couple things there that I, I totally, totally 
get down with because I think that like I've I've really been uh, diving into this idea of like forgiveness from others and like the perception that forgiveness from others is the end all be all by other from other people. Um, like I get it now because like I've really been confronting this a lot um, because like I'll get posts or DMs and stuff. Like I post my bodybuilding stuff. I post my personal training stuff. Uh, my, my nutrition coach stuff. And I'll get people like, are you coming back to wrestling? Come back, come back to wrestling, come back. And I'm like, come back where dude? Like I'm fucking right here. Like, what do you mean? Come back. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, people need to forgive. Yeah. I'm like, people don't need this shit. You know what? Like, because like, <laughs> like I'm not going to have this, like this total narcissistic idea that like my value comes from other people. Because it doesn't, and it and it also doesn't come from whether or not they forgive me or not. They have every right to feel every way, any way they want to feel, and if they decide to hold on to anger, whether justified or unjustified, you know, depending, like, doesn't matter. Not my. It's that's not my show, dude. <laughs> like that's not my show. Like I, I can only worry. I can only concern myself with what's within my control, which is. Uh, how I act, how I react, and my relationship with myself, my um, relationship with my my spiritual self, emotional self, my relationship with other people like that are close to me, and like all that stuff. I can only focus on focus on things that I can control. And um, like you said, there's people who like, you got to constantly do the work. You got to constantly do the work. It, the work's never done. Like, yeah, you know, 85-year-old dude coughing at his deck, sitting down. He's like, yeah, dude, my life was sick. Like, reflecting. Yeah, there's a, there's this dude. He's my um, he's my, my girlfriend's, uh, really my girlfriend. I don't know what he is to her. He's like, he's like a, sort of an uncle. We just call him Mr. Smith. That's his name. Nice. He's cool as hell. <laughs> he's like. Dude, he's like 90. He's in his 90s. And he doesn't, he like, people don't really talk to him at like the family gatherings that much. So I sat down next to that dude at, I think it was Thanksgiving last year. And I talked to this dude for like an hour. Just asked him about his life, who he is. Oh, nice. Those pit stains, bro. Sick, dude. <laughs> anyway, and, sorry. Um, but like Mr. Smith and I like really connected like and I just talked to him all the time like every time I see him I sit down and have a conversation with him like and he's just like chilling he's like yeah dude he's like yeah I lived this I did this I did this he has like such a crazy wild story like just where everywhere he's been and he's just now he's just I mean he kind of says it he's like I'm just waiting Hmm. I'm just waiting and I'm like okay but he's like totally at peace Cause right. he's like, I've done, he's like, I've done my bits. I know who I am. He's like, I had my kids. I did the best that I could. And now I'm sitting here just kind of enjoying the days that I got. And I'm sick, dude. Um, oh, there's something else you said too. in that before that I really, I really liked other than just like the forgiveness of yourself, the work never, the work never stops. Like you can work together. You can work for, uh, four years and you're going to confront this with the slay this dragon. I'm trying to replay. I forget exactly what it was, but you said something else. I really liked what you had to say. That was Thank like you. really, really spot on, dude. And um, yeah, man, like 
every single person has the opportunity to to make a change if you have to or just even if it's not like a full scale whole or wholesale change like you have the opportunity to confront that's it it's all about confrontation like internal confrontation um radical honesty with yourself um and you know i relate to it now like with just people who are like uh fitness clients of mine and like i'll talk to them about like developing mind muscle connection and communicating with yourself about like when you're doing a a bicep curl to like tell your bicep to do the curl like you know what i mean like literally being like oh okay i want this muscle to do the work or when you're doing like a row to like pull with your with your back like feel that there and pull with your back don't use anything else just isolate that and i was like the more you build that mind muscle connection the more that's going to develop the better your your lifts are going to be but that also goes for like how you're feeling and you develop that conversation you can have with yourself with your emotions and you pick that apart and like i mean for me and for other addicts or uh troubled people like uh whatever whatever that happens to be um it it might seem like stuff some some people i think i like, get this like second nature like they're just like oh yeah i don't know i know how i feel like i'm regulated like and then you kind of like can just do it well i literally had to like practice it and i had to like really think about it i had to really work on stuff like active listening uh including to myself and i had to really break down where my feelings were coming from from where my feelings came um and i had to be like oh this is this way i'm feeling and i had to continuously have that conversation with myself but like why i'm feeling certain ways all the time and now that i've done that for so long it's much easier to do it when i get when there's things come up like why did i just go on a random shopping spree on instagram uh last month oh yeah i was hungry as hell because i've been cutting weight for this this lean this like super cut to prep my body for this bodybuilding competition i'm stressed out because i'm working three jobs i'm tired because i my i'm waking up at 4 30 in the morning and working from 5 to 8 5 a.m to 8 30 at night i'm uh you know like uh, I'm I'm trying to pick apart things like like where I'm delving into my own body and how I feel about it and little things I want to improve. So I'm nitpicking myself. Like I like I am doing all the work to like check in on myself. But yeah, it meant like little things manifest themselves. But like I'm able to be like, oh, okay, like I'm acting this way because these are my feelings. And I now have, I know I have the tools in my toolbox to address these things. Um, so I have to utilize them. Like I've developed these tools to address my feelings and to address my actions. And if I want to correct something or I don't like something, I can now utilize these tools that I've developed and I can, I can make a change. Hmm. Like, and that's only through doing constant work. Do you want to bite my hand? Let's see what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I like to, basically, I could sum up what you said in uh, in three steps, which is 
uh, awareness, acceptance, action. That's basically what you have to do. And that's how I tell people, like, if it's it, try to make things as simple as possible, awareness, acceptance, action, there's nothing else that can happen outside of that. If you're not aware of it, you're just, you're ignoring it, or you're not recognizing it. If you don't accept that this is the reality, because people try to fight against reality, you're never going to win. Reality always wins. You have to be so honest with your starting point, where you are, who you are, and how you want to move from that space. And then you have to get into some action. Because you can be aware and you can accept all you want. You can think about things all you want. It's not going to change shit. You got to get to fucking work. And that's, right. that's the third part is the most important. But also knowing where you have to start is equally as important. But the action is the most important part. And that's basically what you know, you're talking about, which is obviously 100% true. And it works. Yeah. That's a th like, dude, wow. Thanks for uh, summarizing that. I can't find my pen. So if you could text me that awareness and action that's very cool um the yeah it really does come from the the work part though like and that's kind of um you know like recently like the whole like jonah hill thing came up with like therapy speak and like um you know how he was talking as if he was doing something healthy when in reality he was setting boundaries on somebody else not setting not expressing his boundaries and using therapy speak and I think a lot of people go through this idea because their therapy in a good way has become very, very popular. And that's awesome, right? Like I'm pumped that people are going to therapy, but then it's like, there's people that weaponize it. Um, when in reality, therapy is just there. That's going to work. Like mm -hmm. you got to go to work. You can't just sit there and talk. Like you don't just sit there and talk about stuff. Like, I don't know. For me, my therapy didn't work for me. Um, until I had a plan, a course of action, and I gave myself work to do, like things to work on. Like anytime, okay, you were a professional baseball player as well, right? You went to batting practice. You went to, like you, every day you went to practice, you go, I'm working on this today. My goal is to do this. So uh, people don't seem to have, or I, I shouldn't say people don't seem to have, I should say, for me, the best course of action is to approach every single thing as like a thing to work on, to get better at. So if I'm going to therapy, I'm getting there to get better at something, right? So how can I address this directly? I need to work on active listening. I need to work on reflective listening. I need to work on like my internal conversation. I need like whatever it is that you need to work on or if it's a habit you need to work on if it's whatever like i gotta show up to work mm -hmm. right it's it's about it's about choosing your hard that's what it is because sure. life is life cool. is going to be hard no fucking matter what right and i can it can either be hard because i'm bitter and resentful um or it can be hard because i'm choosing to look at myself in the mirror and say like, this is what's wrong with me. This is how I can take responsibility for my life. Like, being overweight is really hard. Going to the gym is also really hard. Like, both things are really hard. Pick your hard. Like, one's obviously healthier than the other, right? So you should pick the, the ladder of, like, going to the gym and, and working on yourself and things like that. But yeah. there's not an easy road in no matter what, right? And sometimes, like in your situation, we have to get punched in the face uh, to realize that the way we were living wasn't right. It just wasn't. We were doing things poorly and wrong 
and like same in my situation very different stuff but like pain was the only was the only motivator for change for me it's the only motivator for change like i was a all right person doing all right things um but obviously i could have done things better and i needed something to be the catalyst to that um and so did you and so does everyone um and you know there's varying degrees on what that might be but that's how it is uh so i was just thinking about what you what you just said as well because like um there's a i mean obviously i i love i love Dude, I love the I love like the, the little fitness bubbles so much. Like I, I love it so much. Cause I think it connects so well with everything that we're talking about. Um again, like the idea of your body is your foundation and that's like a part of it, you know, like this meat sack that we're all carrying around. Um and like choose your hard, like <sighs> it's I find it amazing because we started out that connects perfectly with the multiple truths can exist at once, hmm. you know, like where you can be very happy with yourself. You can be very satisfied with yourself. You can be very proud of yourself. You can love yourself and still want to improve hmm. and make changes. And that obviously goes directly to, with what you're saying, like the example you're given, like choose your hard, like it's hard to be overweight. It's hard to be fit. It's hard to go to the gym. It's hard to like, yeah, just choose your heart and you should, and yeah, you should choose like to go to the gym because it's better for you long-term. You're going to feel better, all that stuff. It's like, you can also sit there and be like, and be, you can be overweight. You can be unhealthy and still have love and affection for yourself and still like you can still feel good about yourself but also be like i gotta do i, I gotta do something about this you know like and and i think i think that's one of the things that gets lost on people like these uh major reactionaries who will talk about how like bullying needs to come back it's like no it doesn't actually <laughs> like um if anything having a better self-image or a better feeling about yourself is only going to promote people to make behaviors that make themselves feel worth it to make positive change as opposed to bullying somebody into uh, like a place of shame where they're going to do something else about it. It's like, I think there's so many people that um, think that there has to be like negativity attached to positive change, which like we said, not for everybody, like varying degrees. Like I had to get punched in the mouth. You to a different, in a different way had received a punch in the mouth. Um, but like, it doesn't always have to be like that, but there has to be some catalyst moment, right? There has to be something. And some people get that through, uh, a major form of positivity. Some people get that through a teacher believing in them, believing in them, right? Like giving them really great critique on a paper, giving them encouragement. And some people get it from everybody messaging them, telling them they're the worst person that's ever existed. Like, and, and some, and some people get it through massive tragedy tragedy. And some people like get it through massive moment of like being humbled from a, a huge success or a huge accomplishment. Um, it comes in varying degrees, but like, ultimately we should be providing as much 
of positive catalysts as possible so that people don't have to trudge through don't have to trudge through shit but it doesn't mean that no matter what we keep saying the same thing over and over again you gotta fucking go to work Mm -hmm. gotta go to work life is the work and it's cool as hell it is cool as hell it is cool as hell what do you what do you think about I know it happened to you personally, so maybe just like sort of removing that and, and viewing it from a different lens about, um, you know, this sort of cancel culture, public shaming, everyone airing everything out for the whole world to see. I know it happened to you and it was your – it needed to happen for wrestling, I think, because we needed that. We needed a better space for people to work and all that stuff, but maybe that's a different chat for a different time. But speaking just about social media, what do you think about it? Do you think it's helpful? I mean, in some regards it is, I guess, but could there be, is there a better way? Like just, I don't know, free, free thoughts here. Well, one, I think the biggest, I think the biggest problem with the way, I mean, like the biggest problem with the way things happen with wrestling with, in regards to like the speaking out movement is there wasn't like an action thing. It was just much more of a, it was just much more of like venting frustration, which is fair enough, you know, um, like everybody has the right to act in their own way, like that they feel necessary, but like a course of action, it would have been nice to, for there to have been an action attached to it, as opposed to just like, uh, little individual things like, because calling out problematic people ignores problematic systems. And I, and I, I think that's the bigger thing. It's cause it's not about individual actions. Like ultimately society is not about individuals. It is about society. It is about collective. Um, so I, I, I think that to a certain degree, there's, uh, there can be pot like, it, you know, it's all nuanced again, multiple truths can exist, but like without real action, it doesn't, it doesn't, mean anything like i think the me too movement was amazing like and the thing the reason about it was it wasn't just about harvey weinstein like it was about the culture and the institutions of power in hollywood right like it wasn't like oh it's all harvey weinstein or it's all i don't know name whatever executive out there (laughs) that did terrible things to actresses and actors and stuff like that it was about power dynamics within Hollywood. That's what Me Too was about. And that's why it's so powerful. And that's why it was so effective. And that was the point of that. So that's a wonderful thing. Um, I think as far as like cancel culture, um, I think it's always existed. This is just the form in which it exists now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's always existed on all sides. I think, um, you know, people have lost their jobs for problematic behaviors before. I think, um, for the most part, the rallying cries against cancel culture, for the most part, is um, essentially a form of aggrievement that uh, forms of patriarchy are being undermined, forms of white supremacy are being undermined, forms of um, heteronormative thought processes are being undermined in their eyes when in reality those systems are still very much in place it's just like hey sorry to tell you that not every single movie is gonna star white dude with 
brown hair anymore. Or, oh man, isn't it the worst thing ever that the Little Mermaid's black? Oh shit. <laughs> like, it, you know, it's just kind of, it's kind of bullshit. Um, I, I think, I think of course, of course there can be extremely reactionary attitudes on social media because uh, we have private corporate capture of of our public spaces. If you want to call like, like there was for the longest time they said like Twitter is like the public square. Um, well, that's not good because we don't own that. <laughs> uh, you know, you have a, you have, fucking Elon Musk owns that. And before that was Jack Dorsey. Like no one person or individual people should have be able to amass that much power to control the public square. Like that's fucking crazy. Um, but they have, that is, that is the way society is. And I think that should change, um, you know, by not allowing people to accrue that much wealth. But besides that, uh, the fact is that they've rigged it so that uh, the most, the voices that get amplified the most are the ones that are the, the craziest or the, the hottest takes. It's the same thing that happens in, you know, sports media culture now where it's like everyone has to have a hot take on something. Um, it, it's, it's nonsense. And I think that, uh, I, I think that there's plenty of things that are terrible and bad about cancel culture. Like, I think there's, the biggest thing people could take for it, like should take about it is like, uh, just accept that nuance exists and don't take everything at face value necessarily. And maybe like, don't, don't be so quick to jump the gun on something. Um, in terms of like public shaming, I think it does work in some cases and it's necessary in some cases. And I think in others, it's not. And I think um, who's to determine that, I don't know. But again, like, I think we should give people the ability to accept, to take accountability um, and not make them fearful of it. Because I think if anything, something that we learned from, uh, we as society have learned from like the rise of like predators, like people like like Donald Trump or um, reactionary fascists uh, has been never to apologize. They amass power as they continue to not apologize. Because if you do apologize, that's a sign of weakness and a sign of um, admission of guilt. And then you're damned to to the end. I think we should give people opportunity for growth. Um, but again, that like. I don't know how that gets solved without a major, a seemingly a major step backwards in connectivity. You know what I mean? Like, I think social media is a bad thing overall. Um, I think there's plenty of, like, if I'm looking at it, obviously there's plenty of positives out there, plenty of positives, but there's also plenty of negatives. And like, was, is that a net, good i don't know um there's areas where you could say like more people have more access to information which 
is a positive. And you could also say there's more people have more access to information, which is a negative. Cause it's hard to discern what's good information and what's bad information. You know, it's like everything, like we said, everything's a massive contradiction. Everything, multiple truths can exist at once. Um, all in all though, the narrative around cancel culture has, uh, for the most part, the way it is deemed, it is like put out there is from a, an extremely reactionary standpoint of aggrievement. Uh, the context of anti-cancel culture conversation tends to surround, again, this um, victimization of people already in uh, societal positions of power, which is whiteness, which is male, which is straight. Um, and that's, uh, kind of how it is like I, I don't know what to tell you like these there are these people that think that um again just because they're not necessarily centered in every single conversation um or centered in every single media that they are aggrieved and that they're losing something it's a loss you know um which is i i, I think uh i think it's kind of like a bullshit perspective Hmm. You know, what I see is the biggest problem with social media is, is um, unearned moral virtue. That's the biggest problem with social media. Because it's very easy to talk about all of the things on social media that are deemed that make you a good person. It's very easy. I could talk about them all day on Twitter. I'm doing this, 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 this. And then I go about in my life and I do none of those things. But nobody knows. I know. I'm deceiving myself. And that deception always catches up with me. And it always will catch up with me. But at the time being, I can claim this unearned moral virtue on social media. And I can claim to be someone who cares about society and people and how we're moving in the world and all of this stuff. And because like, the claim to be a good person, like to be a good person is really hard. I try not to say that ever because like I make mistakes. I think poorly about other people in my head. I have judgments when I walk some across the street or when I see someone coming my way. I have biases. I have all of these things, right? And so like me claiming to be a good person is like I, like I want to be. I'm trying. I think that's a better way to frame it, at least in my perspective, is like I'm trying to do this thing. And if I fall short, that's okay, but I know that I'm trying and I'm not going to put anything out into the world that is like unearned or not true because I feel like I have or I've built at least like an undeniable stack of proof that I am this person based on my actions alone and not the things I just say on social media. And that's the problem, right, uh, I think, with social media. And also um, you can get really popular on social media without being excellent at anything because fame used to be – uh, the undertone of fame used to be you're excellent at something. Now it's like, nah, you don't have to, eh, for the most part, you know. Um, but now it's like you can just get plucked out. You know, we used to watch Love Island when we were in the UK together. Uh, you can just get be on Love Island and then the next day you have 2 million followers and you got a sponsorship deal. Are you excellent at anything? I don't know. So I think also that's hindering our society in terms of putting in the work to try to be great at something. I don't know. I'm just thinking about a lot of things because I think about a lot of things all the time. But. That's sort of my take as of right now. I can understand where you're coming from, from that, for that, like in terms of the, um, 
like the uh, you know people espousing like virtue signaling right that's virtue signaling vice signaling like you know it happens all over the spectrum um and what is deemed as being a good person what is not being deemed as being a good person and all that and again i i do think a lot of that tends to come from this perspective that uh <laughs> I think I, I just like contextually the way that tends to be framed is as if like um I don't know I have a hard time taking myself out of like a political bubble and thinking of this as like a, a like people being upset that leftists believe in leftist values but then on the same note like people like as a leftist if I'm speaking to other leftists I'm sitting here like Hey, dude, uh, Twitter is not politics. Like, it's not. Like, being like, oh, I tweeted that everyone, that we should have universal health care today. C- cool. Get in the streets. Mm-hmm. You know, go join, go do, like, local activism. Like, real, like, do real work. Right. You know, sure, like, like, uh, like putting, something, putting something out there, like, uh, signal boosting something is great. Like that's cool. That's one, it's one small piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. right? Like that's awesome. Like posting something to your story about like a, a labor strike is awesome. Like supporting, um, like sending pizzas to people on a picket line is awesome. You know, like supporting the subversion of uh, oligarchical power is sick. Like love it. Support showing solidarity online but that's not politics politics is going in the street and doing work is knocking on doors it is all that like getting in the weeds um and i do think like there is this disconnect um where you know social media the internet in general has created this um distance between people and they don't want to knock on the door people don't want to have phone calls with people anymore people don't want to meet up with people face to face you don't want to like we're more disconnected from our neighbors than we ever have been right like literal interpersonal connections have have gone down by the wayside and i think that's when you see significantly more reactionary attitudes that are being put out there that's why i mean i i think that's why you have a mainstream uh, in America, from an American standpoint, and actually also globally, you, you have mainstream uh, fascistic sympathies that are espoused by a mate like major political parties. Um, I, I don't think that it's a one to one. I don't think it's the, the the scales are are even from that standpoint. Like the idea of somebody. Um, I think there's a there's a perception that like uh, the left has any power um, as far as like these virtue signalers um, are concerned, and they have no real power. There's no like Bernie Sanders is the is possibly or maybe like Rashida Tlaib or Ilhan Omar or like any of the squad are like the most left wing voices out there that are calling for universal healthcare are calling for universal higher education. They're calling for all these things that these virtue signalers online say, make them a good person or people 
deem them as being virtue signalers because it makes them seem like they're a good person or whatever, or they're standing up for, um, you know, they're standing up for a victim of abuse. They're standing up for like, they're, they're having the hottest take on the latest social issue that uh, puts them on the side of the righteous, um, whatever. But those people don't actually have real power. Like it might get, Twitter's not real life. Hmm. Like Twitter's not real life. Instagram's not real life. And yeah, and this idea of um, the other thing I kind of want to push back on a little bit, the idea of like um, fame being greatness or whatever. I don't think that's ever been the case. I think um, to a certain extent, there's some people that have been that way. I think that really, to, to be honest, there's only a couple places where there's any sort of like legitimate meritocracy. I don't think meritocracy actually exists. I think it's impossible to actually achieve, um, especially under capitalism. Um, but I mean, like athletes are probably the closest thing you get to mer uh, meritocratic system, probably the closest thing. And there's still subjective nonsense political things within athletes, like who gets called up to the majors, who gets called up to the next level, who gets starting time on their high school football team uh, and that would get seen by a college coach. And, you know, like it's still about relationships, still about connections and stuff. And that's mm -hmm. still subjective. Um, but yeah, getting a bunch of followers on social media now is considered like what greatness is. Like, I don't know. I, I think that we have weird measurements of that shit. And I think it still is focused on other people's perception. Um, and maybe, and I guess to a certain degree that matters, but like, you know, I, I, I don't know. There was some, um, I heard about some fucking drama the other day. It was like in the same vein as the Jonah Hill stuff, um, which I think the Jonah Hill thing was valuable uh, in terms of a conversation to be had. Um, I think some, like, I think some people took it too far. <laughs> I, I think that what he said in those messages, um, again, they weren't boundaries. I think he was weaponizing therapy speak. And I think, um, he was telling another person how they have to be, as opposed to him saying what he, like a boundary is something you set on yourself and how you're willing to be treated by others, as opposed to what another person's allowed to do. Um, and I think it was a good thing to be put out there because of the conversation that started. I think it was bad was that hot take hot takes had to be like, he's the most abusive person of all time and he's a piece of shit and fuck him. I don't know. Like, is that, that is one leg of what could become an abusive relationship. We also don't know what their relationship was outside of those couple screenshots. Um, so we don't know. It's like, we don't know the whole picture. Um, but there was something else that was like in that same vein, there was like another pop star who came out and said something about someone being, um, a, 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 their partner being abusive because he said that she was, um, overweight because she asked him if he thought she was overweight and he kind of was like, Hey, like you gained 35 pounds and you asked me if, if I thought you gained weight and like. I said, yeah, because I thought I could. You asked me, you wanted me to be honest. Like, I still love, and he literally said in this message, like, I still love you. And, um, 
it's nothing to do with how I feel about you, but you asked me if you gain weight and it's just weight. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, whatever. Like, I thought that was fine. And she, like, put him on blast. Like, and I was kind of like, okay. See, like, this is where it's like we're trying to earn sympathy points or, like, not every single thing has to be a public conversation. Some things are necessary to be public conversations and some things um, aren't. Because uh, I don't think people are that, I don't think, uh, I think everyone has this idea of themselves that they're the most important thing in the world. Um, and like, again, multiple truths can exist. Every single person is important, but not one individual person is the most important person. And I think we get this idea. We We have, we have like, it's all inherently within, again, like all the way society is structured and all this stuff, these, uh, these notions of hierarchies and like people have to be ranked in certain ways and like there has to be positions of power in this way and this way. And that's all kind of bullshit. It's all constructed. And I think, um, I think we lack <laughs> to quote, to quote Howard Schultz, uh, who's a funny man to quote because he's such an idiot, such an asshole, but we have to risk the imagination of a new possibility uh you know corporate i mean yeah i know it, it, it sounds great it's just like bullshit corporate speak coming from the ceo of starbucks who's just like <laughs> saying that essentially in the context of like no worker shouldn't unionize and i should i should still make billions and you should make fucking piss but like we have to risk the imagination of a new possibility shut the fuck up dude but like <laughs> <laughs> you know like um but the point is, like, if I remove the context of the quote from the person and just leave it on its face as a, like, in a vacuum, it's true. Like, mm -hmm. you have to be able to be more imaginative of what is greatness, what is fame, what is important, what is, what matters. And, um, you know, like, we we still have to live within the bounds of greater society because no individual will change that. It takes collective efforts and posting is not politics. But having conversations with people in your life uh, yeah. is, that's not politics, but it's extremely powerful and extremely important, right? Because that's where real change is made. Like each individual action having a domino effect downstream. You talk to one person who knows how many people are going to have to see this conversation. They talk about someone, boom, 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 boom. Sure. And then there's where things start to trickle and actually, and then the needle starts to move forward. That's sort of the biggest lever that you can push. Um, and maybe social media is where we see the conversation and it's like, oh, that's actually something that I really do care about. Like, okay, cool. Now let's go learn more so I can actually be someone who's sophisticated with my language, can have an argument that makes sense and is clear and understood so that when it comes up in conversation, I don't have to yell or scream. I can just have a thing. And and then someone can push back on it and I can be like, okay, that makes sense too. And maybe here's where I would tweak that. And then boom, that's where everything happens right there. The, the, just a nice, uh, reciprocal cooperation of negotiation of language right there. Perfect. Like me and you probably don't agree on everything that's ever existed, but who gives a fuck? I like value your opinion. That's why, you know, we've stayed in touch for the longest time and, you know, um, like those things are important, but like, that's where people have to get to. Um, but it just gets so, I don't know, adversarial maybe is the right word, potentially. 
Well, I think I think people have to be again. We have to be willing to give the space to people to say what they mean. Mm. Uh, and I think there are certain things that are. Um, I think there are certain attitudes that are uh, non-negotiable. I will say that much. Like, um, and what does that mean? Does that mean you like completely, um, you know, uh, exile this person from your life? Whatever. I don't know. That's up to every single person to decide. But there are certain non-starters, right? Like, um, there has to be. Like, mm-hmm. there has to be boundaries to what we talk about. There's um. When I was uh, when I went back to school, I got to read a lot of like primary sources on like history stuff. Doing like poli sci, I also did like some history, a lot of a lot of history stuff. And one of my favorite things I read was um, Jefferson Davis's um, like last address to the Senate before he left to be the president of the Confederacy. Um, like I know, like it might sound kind of well. What do you mean? It because it's very revealing. Because um, ultimately, one, it literally outlined it is just one of the many, 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 many primary sources that outlines the fact that the civil war is about slavery. But two, the thing that he talks about was that uh, in his address was that there was constant compromise on slavery throughout the history of America. And he's like, and now all of a sudden we're doing this, but, and he, and he reckons with the fact that, or he brings it to the table that the fact that you compromised on it means that you were okay with it. Like the fact that there was compromise. Now all of a sudden you're setting a hard line stance. Like what the fuck is this? So the point is there will have to be certain non-starters and there have to be, but like allowing people to have the space to say what they mean. I find that helpful. Mm-hmm. Like I've had a lot of um, personal one-on-one uh, debates with libertarians. Uh, and uh, channeling my best Sam Cedar. And um, the best thing I learned from shutting the fuck up for three years, as far as like learning to listen, is just letting people say what they mean, mm. letting them hear what they say mm-hmm. and actually take their ideas out and let them and drawing them out. And then you see their conclusions they get to and either they like them or they don't. And if they like them and they're problematic we discuss we can discuss that and if they don't then you can discuss that too it's like yeah what don't you like about that like um i don't think people get challenged enough on their perspective i think people do just parrot what they say and that comes from both a left and a and a right standpoint like uh and when i say left and right i also mean like interpersonal relationships and stuff like how people feel about boundaries within people and their relationship with people, not just politically, but just, but how people should act. Um, I was just at, when I was just at work a couple days, a couple days ago, there was a, um, four of us were having a conversation. It was me and two other dudes and this one, uh, this one woman. And the one dude was saying, uh, the one, the woman had to go on the road for a week to go, visit another gym she was doing some sort of thing i forget where she was where she was going to be but she was gonna have to stay in a hotel for a few days and then um the one dude in the conversation was like i don't know i'm not letting my woman stay in a hotel randomly in some place what you say you're going to a gym for a week to go there like i don't know about that that makes me feel sort of like certain way me and the other dude looked at each other kind of laughed we're like 
what are you talking about, dude? Like, it's work. <laughs> and and he was like, yeah, but what? You mean you're just going to be somewhere else, like, in a, in a ho- staying in a hotel by yourself away for a week? I was like, yeah, dude, you got to um, trust somebody, right? Have to. Someone. And, and then I was like, and then I just said, I was like, yeah, man, like, what you're talking about um, is just insecurity on your part. <laughs> like that's what that is like you gotta he's like yeah maybe you're right about that and i was like yeah dude have you ever thought like thought about why your initial reaction your initial immediate feeling is to control what the other person's doing like and how that is not conducive with a healthy relationship like and he's like oh well i guess like i don't think people have really been challenged on their thoughts um, and I think that's healthy when you're talking about having uh, disagreements with somebody or hearing somebody out or whatever. I, I think that's necessary. Um, as for like, again, like going bigger and big and broader, like a couple people sitting down at the negotiation table, one-on-ones, changing minds, one on, like one person at a time. Like, yeah, sure. I guess so. Um, and obviously within massive institutional change, it comes like little tiny individual incremental change, I suppose, um, which can be a good thing or can be a bad thing, depending on your radical perspective or not. Um, you know, but like you just do whatever you can to make the world a better place in with what you have. And, you know, like there's not many people who are afforded the ability to make massive systemic change. Um, so you do what you can on your own individual basis with recognition that your own individual basis is still small potatoes, but those small potatoes end up making for a a big dinner, right? Like if everybody starts making them, then yeah, it's cool. Like multiple truths can exist at once. There should be tiny incremental individualistic change in conjunction with massive systemic movement to um to emancipate people that's ultimately i mean from a political standpoint that's what you got to do change the hearts and minds of individuals one-on-one and yeah i don't think that people listen to each other i think we're all kind of a lot of people are stuck in their echo chambers and don't necessarily let people play out their ideas and i think there would be a lot of people who would agree on a lot of things but they're not but they're too focused on too many different things like like, I mean, uh, we're, there's some people that are, are, are concerned with the fact that, um, you know, like a trans woman placed fifth at nationals in swimming and, um, you know, as opposed to being like, hey, that person should have the right to their own healthcare decisions. <laughs> like, how about we like let that person live their life? You know, like we should, uh, we're, there are, I think it's like over like 500 bills individually, like uh, criminalizing transgender um, healthcare, like trans healthcare and women's and like women's right to their own bodily autonomy and healthcare. Um, And, uh, or I should say like, just that sort of stuff matters, you know, like massively. And we're not talking about the same thing. Like, and, and sometimes people use these things as a, as just a way to weaponize the entire conversation, you know, like 
I don't know if you remember, I think it was like 2018 when they had that, that uh, anti-trans bathroom bill in North Carolina. Hmm. Um, you remember there was this whole thing was like, you have to use the bathroom of your biological sex uh, in North Carolina. They passed the bill in the state and universally everybody's like, fuck you guys. And like the NBA was supposed to have the all-star game in Charlotte that year. And they pulled out and like all these like corporations are pulling out of North Carolina and it caused them to reverse this thing. And everybody's pretty much on board. Everyone's like, yeah, dude, fuck you. Like who gives a shit? We're going to the bathroom here. No one fucking cares. Like just go to the bathroom. Um, and then, you know, they literally, um, uh, fundamentalist right-wing, uh, organizations like the Heritage Foundation and things like that it ran focus groups and found they fixated on uh, trans women in sports. And that got people's attention. And they've now used that as a way to just launder overall transphobia and uh, homophobia um, and in general, just fundamentalist behaviors. Um, and it's captured a lot of people. As opposed to just being like, hey, we should be empowering people to uh, be themselves, including having the ability to have control of their own health care and their own bodies and their own life, hmm. you know, as opposed to criminalizing it because you don't like the idea or you're not or, or you don't understand it. I, don't, I just don't get it. You know, this person like. They were born. They were they were born this way, but now they want to be this way. I don't understand it. So we should just ban it. What? What are we talking about? Um. Yeah. I. I. So I mean, I guess. I guess to a certain degree, we should just be listening to each other more and think about the bigger things. Right. Yeah. Having an inclusive society. More honest dialogue. Yeah. And and looking at the other person and seeing them as a person yeah <laughs> like and you know i think that's where podcasts are are really powerful for them right because some really good podcasts whatever you listen to hopefully they're having these long-form conversations i mean we've been talking for an hour and a half right and you can you can fully express your ideas and then you can play it back and you can look at it in two months and be like mm, maybe that's not the way i feel okay let's let's run it back Maybe sure. that is the way I feel and I stand by that. That's the hill I want to die on or whatever it is, right? But like if you're a totally performative fake person, it's really hard to hide behind that for two straight hours. When someone's asking you questions that are unprepared, off the cuff, you have to be really like this is who you are. And so I think that's why that's a powerful form of media. And I think it will be – podcasts will be important in terms of our – you know, presidential election coming up because like we can actually see who the candidates are, like hopefully a lot. So we can we can like have someone who is willing to run the country in the best way they think is possible, whoever that is. I don't know. But like that's not what this conversation is about. But you get my point, right? Like I think. Well, I actually think I think you're I think there's like a, an interesting point that you're, you're making there because I think I don't know if it was 2016 or if it was 2020. Um but uh, Bernie Sanders went on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. And, you know, and Rogan's gone down uh, a pretty deep, dark uh, rabbit hole, it seems, as he's gotten more and more money. And it's uh, it's kind of a shame. Um, but regardless, he um, he had Bernie on his podcast and like a long form discussion. And Bernie just like talked. 
Like mm-hmm. Bernie's the fucking man. First of all, Bernie's the fucking man. But <laughs> yeah, we see it. We see. It. If you're watching on YouTube, you see it for sure. Okay, cool. Um, but the thing was, like, the thing that was crazy about it was that all of the, um, like, all of the comments on that video were like, "Yo, this dude's not crazy." Like, the media tries to paint tried to paint Bernie Sanders as like this crazy dude, like this like insane high strung, like this guy who's like fucking always, he's always hyped up, he always do this. <laughs> and like he's always yo, he's always angry, angry bro. He said like, and it's like, yo, dude, one, he's you know, he's a Jew from Brooklyn. Like, he's gonna be a little upset about some things. He's gonna get aggravated by stuff, dude. Like, that's what we do. So like, um, but like, no, when he had the opportunity to have a long form discussion and just kind of like play out his ideas and what he believes, you go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that just makes sense. That's that I get that. So I, I do think that – I think that long-form discussions are extremely important. But unfortunately, I think that our brains and the way we're being programmed is not for that. I think overall, the things that are capturing attitudes are shorts um, and things like that. And it's like, again, hot takes and it's things like that. It's things like that. Reactionary attitudes get uh, – push to the top when you don't have long form discussions because it's when you like short quippy things uh tend to just you know help out again reactionary attitudes i i don't i know i sound like a broken record there but like um because it's easy to ignore systemic long-term long-standing power dynamics when you're just talking about like equality, right? Um, like, cool, dude. Cats just pushing the shit off. Um, it's like when you, uh, like, recently they just had that um, the Supreme Court just like shut down uh, affirmative action at higher education, right? And even though John Roberts wrote in his opinion, like, they can't explicitly pick someone based on race, but they can use someone's story about overcoming discrimination to show strength and that individual person use that discrimination to rise above so they can pick that person because of their essay. It's like, yeah, but that's because of discrimination. And then like, whatever. And then the dissenting opinion that KBJ wrote, um, you know, she discussed the fact that um, the only way you can address racial institutionalized racism is with a race-based approach because it's true like you can't just go with colorblind politics because that's kind of racist like being like oh i don't see color at all like but in a way you have to Mm because it's a part of who we are and that is because i mean race was crafted race is a social construct a hundred percent race is a social construct but it is ingrained and woven into society at this point. And it has white, like whiteness is just your proximity to power. That's basically what that is. And especially in America um, and like Western culture. Um, So like you can't ignore that if you're going to, if you're going to make real change, right? Like, so I think that, 
it's easy to be like, oh, well, white people, black people, it's the same fucking thing. Like, in, in, a, in a YouTube short or in, like, a TikTok video that lasts, like, three seconds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really easy to, to espouse or, like, or like patriarchal attitudes. Like, men and women should be the same, right? Well, guess what? We're fucking not. And the thing is, the reason why we're not is because of power that has been utilized throughout society, like, for centuries millennia whatever you want to pick the the point in time and you know like we can we can talk about it from there um and i think long-form discussions are necessary um because i think long-form discussions like you were just touching on can really reveal what someone really means Mm -hmm. when someone gets the opportunity to say what they mean and to see where their ideas come from i think it's important um overall I think the short form stuff uh, favors reactionary attitudes. Yeah. Like, and uh, yeah, it's just tough, you know, to get people to click on that three and a half hour conversation. But yeah. I, I think, I think people are hungry for that. And they, they like, I want to, I'm assuming best intent and people are, are going to do that because yeah, because they want They want to make a wise, smart decision about their life and about their future. And so, I have faith. I have a lot of faith. I think you should though too, because you know what? Because the other thing that's really popular is like audiobooks, mm-hmm. and those and those are long. Like people like audiobooks. People listen like will listen to an audio. Hey, when I granted, I'm a, a freak when it comes to like content that I consume, but like I'm pretty much consuming like sports, fitness, politics. Like that's <laughs> like what I listen to. Um, but I listen to talk. Like I listen to talk radio all the time. Like I listen to talk radio, whether it's sports talk radio, political talk radio. Um, like I'm listening to that all the time. I'm listening to fitness podcasts. I listen to podcasts on the reg because mm-hmm. um, I want to hear what people have to say. I want to hear ideas. I want to hear stuff fleshed out. Right. I'm, inter- I'm interested in the little nuances that create an argument or that create an idea or create a thought. Um, mm-hmm. And and I you know I hope and I pray that people have that same sort of intellectual curiosity. Um, to pick apart their own ideas because that's that's really what this is about right circling all the way back there is like you hear something you get a belief you have a knee-jerk reaction like you have a everybody i think has feelings on stuff even if they haven't like you have a need you have a gut feeling about Mm -hmm. something like how you feel about an issue or how you feel about a reaction or a person or how you should act whatever I don't know, Nate, there's probably somebody out there who could say like more things that I can't think of off the top of my head. But everybody has like their initial feelings about something. And I think it's important to go within yourself and pick that apart. And part of going within yourself and picking that apart is also listening to other people and bringing that into you to help inform you because we don't know everything because no person knows everything. So you have to seek the advice or you have to seek the opinions of others. You have to seek the people who've had other experiences. You have to go outside of your bubble to um, create a well-rounded thought. And, and I mean, that is kind of like the thing that makes humans u- unique, right? Is the ability to learn and grow off of each other's work. Like no individual is a self-made person. None. Right? There's no such thing as a self-made man. There's no such thing as a self-made woman. There's no such thing as a self-made person. We are all 
the products of everybody's work before us mm-hmm. and everybody around us. That's why we are a collective. Um, and it, it, that's a wonderful thing. That means everybody has something to, to contribute. You know, that means everybody matters. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I have one last question to summarize this fantastic conversation. Okay. If you were going to put up a billboard in Philadelphia and millions of people were going to see that billboard every single day, what would you put on it? And this, this question was stolen from Tim Ferriss. I cannot take credit for it. He's my favorite podcaster. Thank you. You're up, Max. Oh my goodness. Express gratitude, relinquish control. One on the front, one on the back, or both on the same side? One on the front, one on the back. Heck yeah. Dude, if I could put up half of these billboards that some of my guests have said on this podcast, we'd have some great messages in like every major city in the Welcome. world. Rank, rank your favorite messages. Right <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I had this doctor on uh, a few weeks back, and his episode will have dropped by the time this episode drops. And I asked him the same question, and he knew nothing about my, my story or the name of my company. And he goes, I would put, you are loved. And I was like, and then I told him, like, that's the name of my company, why I named it. And we had like such a special moment and like the final few moments of this podcast where he talked about mental health um, for a while because yeah, anyways, but like just really cool stuff have happened just based on asking someone like what message they would want to put out in the world. It's very cool. So your top one is the one that, that like, you know, happened to light up with your company. Yes, exactly. <laughs> to answer your question, to answer your question. <laughs> Of course, it's self-indulging, dude. Why do you think I do this podcast? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Come on, you have a, you're hosting a podcast where you talk to people for for hours on end. Like, what yeah. do you mean? Of course, there has to be some level there. Yeah, of course, it's great. <laughs> but, dude, uh, thank you, thank you, really, for for joining me, for uh, getting vulnerable, for sharing your story, uh, and most importantly, thank you for for putting in the work because it means a lot. Oh well, thanks, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Um, yeah, dude, I, I loved, I, I loved it. I'm, I'm pumped about it. Sweet. Well, thanks everyone. See you next time. Lots of love. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Max Barsky. What idea stood out to you the most? What idea resonated with you the most that you could potentially implement into your life today to start putting in the work? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Aaron Mashbitz directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. But most importantly, above all else, above all else, please take good care of yourselves and others, and I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.